Hello, I'm Angela, and you are listening to The Farmer. This is episode number seven, and today we will be talking about starting your own seedlings. start off today thanking uh, the few of you that have sent me some emails and some Facebook messages. I just want to thank you for the encouragement that you're giving me with this podcast and um, I hope that I can continue um, to inspire you. Um, If there is anybody out there that can help me with my Facebook page, I would appreciate it. Um, So I have this problem on this Facebook page and my other one for my dogs. Um, so when I when I get a visitor post, I I have in my settings that um, I want to approve them first because obviously I don't want somebody posting something that's inappropriate. Um, so I have in my settings that people can see visitor posts after I approve them, um, but. I can't figure out how to approve them. Like when I get a um, notification that I got a visitor post, like I, it says view visitor post to approve. And then it says dot, dot, dot. I can't like see the whole message. Um, So I like click on it and I can read it, but there's nothing there that says approve or disapprove. I have never figured out uh, how to take care of this. I don't know. I can't figure it out. So I typically use the Facebook page manager for, I have like a farm page and a page for my dogs for the dog breeding. And then I have a page for the, um, the podcast and I have the settings the same on all the pages and I cannot figure out like how to approve visitor posts so that other people can see them when they write on there. So if anybody has any information for you, for me, that would be great. Um, I've tried it through my Facebook page manager app, through the regular Facebook app and on the computer and I... I can't figure it out. So if anybody knows how I can take care of that problem, uh, shoot me an email at thefarmerpodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate it. Or you can message me through the Facebook. Or you can, if you're using the Anchor app, you can leave me a voice memo up to one minute. Um, There's like an icon on top. I can't remember what it says. It might just say voice message or voice memo or something like that. You click on it and it'll record you and it'll just send me like a voicemail. So if anybody knows how to resolve that problem, I would appreciate it. Um, I also have a problem like on on my dog Facebook page. Like when people rate me and then like say these nice things about me, nobody else can see them. I can't figure it out. I don't. I've gone through my settings multiple times and it looks like everything is right. I don't know. So if you have any enlightenment for me, that would be great. So um, we are in the midst of some super crappy winter weather here. Um, I tried to find a place in my house to record this where you couldn't hear wind and I, 
I couldn't find one. So I apologize if it sounds like I'm standing outside in a storm right now. I'm not, but it it sounds like that to me. So um, we have had, the last two weeks have been, you know, not too bad, like kind of normal winter weather for Wisconsin, or well, what used to be normal here. Um, you know, lots of like 20 degree days, sunny, little bit of wind, little bit of snow, that kind of thing. It's been great. Um, yesterday, like it snowed and then it rained and then it sleeted and then it snowed and then it rained and it sleeted. So we've had kind of a interesting, you know, day. Um, and then, so because it was kind of a, and it was, uh, I think just above freezing, maybe like 33 or 34, um, then drop below freezing overnight, obviously, but still not that bad. Um, but the ground is frozen, so all this, you know, like wet snow, sleet, rain didn't have anywhere to go. So it's kind of like just sitting on the surface. And I can't really run anywhere because we have lots of snow on the ground and drifts. So it's not like anywhere that's like a driveway that's plowed or like we have paths snow blowed all throughout our property like to get to all the like the goat sheds and the chicken shed and um the rabbit tree um so like all that water is kind of sitting there and now at some point early this morning it started snowing pretty good um and now it's all just kind of sitting on top of that wet stuff and getting slushy but we have like 40 mile an hour winds right now so the drifts are like unreal it took me forever to do chores this morning because like so I um I need to use the wheelbarrow to bring hay down to the goat shed and like the wheelbarrow was got blown over and um I couldn't get through the path because everything that my son had like re-snowblowed yesterday in preparation for this storm had all blown over. I couldn't get through. I literally shoveled this huge drift between, um, kind of between buildings like our house and garage and then like our back garage where the rabbit tree is. It was only like five feet wide. So I thought, well, I'll instead of getting the snowblower out, I'll quick shovel this, you know, took a minute. Okay. It was like up to my knee. Um, while like I turned around to go get the shovel to do that and the wheelbarrow had been blown over. I was like, okay, well, whatever, I'll fix that. So I, I shoveled it. Then I went to go like some of my grain and stuff had spilled out that I bring down there. So I turned around to go back in, get grain Within like three minutes, the whole knee-deep drift that I had shoveled had completely blown over and needed to be (laughs) reshoveled. So, I mean, like the wind out there is really intense. I'm confident we're going to lose a gutter. We've got one flapping out there. We lost one last week because the, um, we had so much snow and it, got like really melt it was like a really heavy snow and it got real melty and heavy and when it like slid off our metal roof it like took the whole gutter with it so um we're we're gonna have lots of gutter repair soon um 
there's water leaking in the rabbitry. Like, there's just nowhere to go for any anything that melts um, because there's so much snow. And, like, as much as we shovel it away from the buildings and try to keep things clear, like, it's just, it's a mess. So, it's actually only, I don't, it's like right around freezing. It's really not that cold. Well, now it probably is um, because it's getting colder throughout the day. But when I first went out to do chores this morning, it really was not that cold at all. Um, But so like everything's melting, but we have this insane wind. So it feels much colder. It's blowing snow all over, but then all the stuff along the edges of the buildings is like melting and leaking in. And it's just a pain in the butt, pain in the butt, um, the, (laughs) the poor coat shed, like, the door is only open enough to get their pregnant bellies through it, um, we have, like, a, um, like, another plywood piece that we even put kind of inside that doorway as a wind block, like, just enough that they can get in, and the wind is, like, whipping around and blowing snow in there, I mean, there's, I, I don't even know if I will have a paddock left by the end of the day for the goats to be in because the the drifts are forming so fast. So I will I'll see what that looks like. Um it's it's awful. The drifting is terrible. So yeah, same thing. Uh you know, my son like helped me get down there with the wheelbarrow and like kind of cleared a path for me and by the time I got done doing chores it was completely drifted over again so and then and then there's like this four inches of slush underneath all the snow so you're like walking through this deep snow plus there's all this slush and that's like it doesn't it does not pay to snow blow it now because it'll it'll be back before you even get done snow blowing it'll all be back so um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a lot of cleanup, I think. Um, but I hate, I hate wind like so much. I can handle snow. No problem. Um, I don't like rain, but I can handle it. <laughs> but I hate wind. I hate wind all year round. Like, you know, when you're, when you're like a renter and you don't own your home, you can sleep totally fine through storms with lots of, lots of wind. It is fine because whatever like the landlord will take care of it but when you own a home and you like hear stuff blowing off your house at night and you're worried about your animals outside and um just things blowing apart like it sucks it really sucks and wind keeps me up at night and I hate it like realistically we typically don't have like super big damage but it, I don't know, wind is one of those things that just keeps me up at night, and I hate it, so just all this terrible drifting is just not fun, and these temperatures, like, it's just above freezing, and everything's, it, it's so crazy, because it looks like a blizzard, but yet you, like, open the door to the rabbitry, and there's, like, water on the floor in front of you, so, I mean, it's just, and our basements, you know, it's old house, so our basement's got cracks in the foundation, and there's water in the basement, and our sump pump is working, but yet outside where the sump pump pumps out, like, that's all covered with snow, and it's a mess, so we'll see how that goes. Um, 
on a positive note, we are three weeks away from goats kidding, which is like the best and worst time of the year all together. So I absolutely love kidding season. Um, there's nothing cuter than a goat kid, really, honestly. Um, and typically my goats have really, really easy kiddings. Um, I haven't had any problems. I have one, um, a new mom this year. She's a two-year-old, uh, she's almost two, two-year-old doling. Um, and she, (laughs) I feel like she's, uh, typically not as smart as a lot of goats in general. So we'll see how she does. But typically those mothering instincts kick in and they're fine. Um, and she is my first one. Um, so most of my boar goats are the, they're just the traditional colors where they're white. They've got like the brown head, uh, and shoulders or sorry, head and neck. Um, but she is a like a dark brown dapple so she's dark brown and she has these cute little white spots all over her and she's just she's like the cutest goat ever she really is her name's paisley she's adorable um she came out of my doe stella who's a tradition traditional color and then her sire was actually a black dapple so he was black with little white spots um, and she came out dark brown with little white spots. So um, excited to see what she throws this year. She was bred to a traditional buck. Um, so I mean, the other the other girls, they'll all have traditionals. They were all bred to a traditional buck. Um, but I'm kind of excited to see. I'm hoping maybe for like one with a, a like a dark brown cape on them, like uh, or I don't. I don't know. We'll see what she throws. I'm kind of excited. Um, there could be some potential for her to even have a black one. I mean, it's not likely, but it could happen because her dad was black. Um, uh, her sire also threw a really interesting looking black one with like a white belt, um, that same year from, it would be like her mother's sister so her dam's sister um so they have those same genetics so we'll see I'm interested to see what she has I don't think she'll have any black ones but she'll probably have some wonky looking brown ones (laughs) so that'll be kind of fun um I it would even be more fun if she had a solid brown because I would love one of those so um once you get past those traditionals you can get some really really interesting colors with the boars and you you just like never know what you're gonna get so um that'll be fun I'm super excited for kidding season they're due um end of March all three of them actually were bred in a like a day and a half period so um I am excited to see what we get. Um, If I had to guess right now, I'd say we'll probably end up having six kids. I think one of them's going to have triplets, one's going to have twins, and one's going to have a singleton. If I had to guess. Now, we are three weeks out, so I could change my mind, but um, typically, I I don't think Paisley will have more than one. She's very small. 
Um, in fact, if, if her udder wasn't bagging up, I wouldn't even think that she was pregnant. And I mean, I had a progesterone test on, so I know she's pregnant. Um, and she is bagging up, uh, but she really, really does not look big at all. So she will definitely have a singleton and who knows, I could be wrong. Um, but that would be my guess. And, um, I think the other ones, either twins or triplets, probably twins. Um, the first year I had, uh, my two oldest does, they each had triplets. So, um, my first year I had six kids. Um, and that were, that was really nice. I had to supplement one from each. One of them rejected one and the other one, um, they just weren't gaining enough. Um, so I had, I pulled one and supplemented it. Um, and it worked and it worked out really well. The other one started gaining right away as soon as I started supplementing that one. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, honestly, I have the potential. I could have nine kids, you know, they could each have triplets or, you know, but like I said, just based on what they look like now, I'm going to predict six kids for this season. So, um, and so due to this awful weather we're having, I think that I'm going to start some seedlings today. So I actually wouldn't normally start them until, um, at least, well, like another 10 days. Um, but I, uh, I'm starting to feel like <laughs> I need to feel like it's spring. So I'm going to look through my records and see like, hmm, what can I try to start a little early? Uh, probably celery. I don't ever think you can start celery too early. Like it seems to never be as far enough along as you want it by the time you want to put it in the ground. So if all I start today is celery, great. So be it. Um, I do, I do need to pick up some more, um, soil medium. So I have a limit to how much I can do because I only have a small amount on hand right now. So let's get a little more into the nuts and bolts of starting seedlings. Um, so I'm just going to tell you what I do. There are so many different methods that you can use. Um, this is going to be just a really, really brief overview because there's a lot of options. So I'm just going to go through what I do. I might mention a few other methods, but we're going to try to keep it simple or we could be here for hours. So, um, <clears throat> so for potting mix, I use, um, uh, like a bagged sterile mix. It's a fa uh, brand name is Fafford. Um, I pick it up at a local greenhouse we have here. Um, it's what they use to grow their seedlings. And so I use it. Um, Fafford has a couple different mixes. I know they have like just kind of a plain Jane one and then they have one with like, um, like water moisture crystals in it. I just use the plain one um, and then I mix it with the compost that I produce here on the farm um, and I mix it about two-thirds potting mix and one-third compost typically. Um, I, I really in the future would like to try the um, 
the medium from Vermont Compost Company, but I I have not found a source for that. I have not tried really hard either. I have heard that they do a decent job of helping you to try to like get on their truck. I don't need a semi load, so for me to order like shipping would be ridiculous. Um but I have heard that they will try to get your order like on a truck if it's somewhere near you. So like I said, I don't have experience with them, but I have heard that they're very accommodating. Um, and that is uh, a soil medium that I really, really would like to try. I'm just, I'm not there. Every year I think about it and then it sneaks up on me and I don't get that far. So um, once I get bigger, it's definitely something you're going to look into, but right now what I'm doing works all right. So, um, I typically grow most of my things in plug trays. Um, so there's, there's all different sizes of plug trays. Um, and you just have to kind of decide on what you want. Like, so all these trays that I use fit into the typical... Um, gosh, now I can't even think of it. Is it a 10-20 tray? Yeah, a 10-20. So it's 10 inches wide, 20 inches long. Um, and so there's ones where you can get like 50 plugs or 72 plugs or, um, like a, mm, 180 or something ridiculous like that. I mean, there's all different sizes. Um, and I it depends on what I'm growing, you know, um, the things like beets that I transplant, uh, those would go in like the really small plugs, um, and things like tomatoes, I grow those in the fifties. Um, some things I start in pots and then pull apart like onions. I'll start in a pot, um, like a, like a four by four pot. And then I just, like pull them apart when I when it's time to plant them um and there's also plug well they aren't plug trays they're like trays with like rows in them and they have 20 rows in them and so you can plant stuff in those rows um and then again pull them apart when it's time to plant so there's you can also just plant them in trays I have friends that um they got some like really heavy duty trays like second hand from somewhere. I can't remember what they are, what they were from. Um, but they kind of like planters, like they basically lay out a grid, plant a seed in it. So it would amount to them being planted in like 50 plug trays, but then they just use, um, like a, basically like a putty knife or like a garden knife and just kind of cut them into squares when it's time and then plant them so you can plant them in a flat tray too and just lay out a grid um it's up to you there's also something called soil blocks and you typically need to use a mix that's meant for soil blocks like i think vermont compost company has a mix that's specially for uh for them um and, or there's like online recipes you can use to mix it up. Those to me seem like, unless you're doing really a lot of seedlings, like 
it doesn't seem worth it to me because it's an awful lot of ingredients. Like, I want to say like 13 ingredients or something like that that you're mixing. I could be wrong on that, but it's a lot of stuff to mix together. And I've seen really mixed results on that. So, I mean, it's something to look into. But one thing that I've come to the conclusion on over the years is like, there's a fine line between doing things like the easy way and the hard way. So, you know, there's things that you want to do sometimes that you think is maybe the better way, but the results don't always warrant the extra time, money, and effort that you put into it. And so I've kind of come down between Um, if something works good enough and it takes you half or a quarter or a tenth of the time, it's worth it because your time is worth so much more. So like I said, unless you're mixing really a lot of soil medium to do the soil blocks, um, and you're doing that many seedlings, it's probably much easier to just buy some medium that will work with it. So, um, if you don't know what soil blocks are, just YouTube them. Um, it's hard to explain. There's like a, it's like a mold and then you like pack it with this like really wet, uh, soil medium and then you put them out onto this board and it like air prunes itself. Um, again, it's not something I want to get into. So YouTube it if you have questions. Elliot Coleman was kind of one of the pioneers on that. I'm not saying it's not a good idea. I agree with the theory behind it. It's just I'm I'm not at a point where I think that the extra work is worth it for me. So um while you are doing your seedlings, you want to make sure that you're labeling everything properly and you're doing really good record keeping. So, like, once you get a little more experience, you'll be able to tell the difference between, like, broccoli and cauliflower leaves. But in the beginning, you might not know the difference. Um, so you want to make sure you're labeling them really, really well. Um, also, you want to keep good records. You, like, and it doesn't have to be super, super difficult. So when I first started, like, I tried to do everything on a spreadsheet and blah, blah, blah. And I always felt like it wasn't for me. Like, some, like I was doing something wrong. Like, it, it just seemed so labor-intensive. And I listened to a podcast. I can't think of the name of the farm. It was in California somewhere. And I had, it was a podcast by Chris, that Chris, Chris Blanchard did on the Farmer to Farmer podcast. And there was these farmers in California and they were like, you know what, we just use a notebook and when we start seedlings, we write down the date and uh, we look at what we did last year and we just keep a notebook for every year and we can kind of look back and it's super easy and we don't have to like 
go in at night and type it all into a spreadsheet. We don't have to do any analysis. It's just like we just kind of follow what we did the year before. And if something doesn't work, we go back and make a note. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly how I want to operate. No, you can do whatever you want. Maybe you find an app on your phone that works. Or maybe your idea of doing it is um, taking pictures. And Google Photos will save everything for you and organize it. I mean, it just depends on what you want to do. But definitely come up with a system for record keeping. I would not recommend for labeling using any type of wooden like popsicle stick they have like these wooden labels um uh, like not just popsicle stick ones but then like they you know it's like the the little stakes and then they come up and they they have a you know it looks like a tea and you label them like when you water your stuff those those little wooden sticks absorb things and then like your names all bleach out of them whether you use a sharpie or a pen or whatever um you just it's it's like what does this say i'm not for sure i just you can use the plastic ones honestly i get like those wider plastic ones you can order like i don't know like 2000 of them on amazon for like $12. And then um, I cut them in half when I'm using the small plug trays because they don't fit in the really small plug trays. So I like just snip them down the middle and then eventually they fade and you can write right over the top of them with Sharpie. So um, it's super easy. They're re- the plastic ones are reusable. I know people a lot of people are anti-plastic and I get it. Like I don't put my food in plastic. I I'm totally all about glass and using uh, you know things that are non-toxic, but um you know what for one little th- for one little label that goes in a whole line on your tray and you can reuse it to me, it's worth it. I, I that's what I prefer. Um, you can use whatever record keeping methods you want. Uh, you just got to find what's right for you. There is no right or wrong. So, um, and then you're going to want some grow lights. So I would very much shy away from like starting seedlings and putting them in your window because the second they start coming up, they start leaning towards the window Now, if you do it, you have to have a south-facing window. And like I said, you're like, you you have to turn them like every four hours or they end up like leaning all over. And even then, like you can get some really wicked looking seedlings that kind of like curve all over the place because they're like constantly chasing the lights. So let me simplify lights for you because I spent, I don't know, how many hours researching grow lights and thinking I was going to have to spend like a gajillion dollars on all this. I mean, what a mess. Okay, so they make LED grow lights. You can buy these T8 grow lights. You can use T12s, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so many options out there. Let me simplify it for you. It doesn't matter. Buy the cheapest fixture you can find. (laughs) And 
mount it somehow. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about a shelving system that I made. You basically take like cinder blocks that you would use for like the foundation of building a house or a garage and you kind of use those to build up your height and then you use some boards just that go across like 2x8s, 2x10s, 2x12s, however thick you want them. You can put them one, two, three deep, whatever you want. Um, However you want to Um, put those trays on there and uh, you use those as your bases put the boards across then more cinder blocks and boards across I have my shelves are three they're three shelves high I could get four if I wanted to in the basement but the my lowest ones I keep actually higher just because it's easier for me to get in there and not do as much bending down um by the cheapest like what I'd call like a shop light um that you can at like the Home Depot or Menards or whatever kind of um like building supply store you have in your area you don't need to get like the um the lights that would like go on a ceiling you can just get like a shop light and I think those fixtures are only like thirty dollars um so when I started researching this I found that like you can't use old like if you find some old t12s on craigslist I like I was reading that you couldn't use those because they heat up too much and you're gonna fry your plants okay well I guess if you live in an apartment and you keep your heat at 75 degrees maybe you'll fry them I have not found that to be the case. Now, I do my seedlings. I start them in, um, well, we call it our sunroom, but it's more like a really big back hall mudroom. So it's kind of at a level between our main level and our basement. It's kind of like ground level. And then our main level is up a couple feet and our basement's down a couple feet. So, um... In this room, we have a lot of south-facing windows, and it's very bright. We have our wood stove in there, so it typically stays between 70 and 75 degrees because our wood stove is in there. And then we have a fan that circulates that heat out, but it is warm. So it's a good room to, like, start germinating, especially for, like, peppers and um, tomatoes and stuff like that. So I wait. I... I do all my seeding in this room. I wait till they come up and germinate. And then the things that do better in cooler weather, like brassicas and onions and stuff like that, um, then those move to my basement on my shelves with my lights. Now, tomatoes and peppers, I will leave in that room longer because it is warmer and they do much better and warm. But then I'll move them back downstairs under those lights and you want to put them on a heat mat because that'll keep it um, warmer. So my basement at the, um, is typically 55 to 60 degrees in like March when I start seedlings. And then that slowly moves up to um, about 65 degrees by mid-May when I'm done with seedlings. So um, the thing that I was reading when I started about lights is that like if you put them in these really obviously you wouldn't maybe want to use a t12 or t8 if you're doing this in a in a room that would maybe constantly stay 75 degrees then maybe you can fry them but i'm talking in my basement when it is 55 to 65 degrees i do not ever have a problem with like 
you know, overheating any of my ceilings. Um, the other thing that I research is that, um, Oh, so, okay, so T8s and T12s, both fine, okay? They also make ones that are LEDs. Um, those, you don't need need to worry as much about the heat, so those are kind of okay. So, I look for light bulbs that say they're full spectrum or for daylight. So, the full spectrum, the ones that are labeled full spectrum is usually 4,500 on the Kelvin scale. And Kelvin is like the K-E-L-V-I-N. It's like the measurement of light. So, like the lower it is on the Kelvin scale, the warmer it is. And the higher it is, it goes up to like 6,000. Then those are the more like the blue like the bluer lights um they're the cooler lights um so you want well actually it goes it goes past 6,000 uh maybe 6,500 typically in a light bulb you'll find um as the highest so um any I have found that full spectrum or daylight if they're labeled either of them is fine um so the ones I typically get are 4,500 to 6,000. And if it's one where I have four lights going across, I'll alternate them. And if I just have two, the 4,500 is fine. I also have found that tomatoes specifically seem to like the cooler lights as they get bigger. Um, that seems to work really well for me. So that, and, and you have to kind of experiment and peppers too seem to like that cooler light. So my understanding is that the cooler light is more for foliage. And then you want to switch to that warmer light. Like if you're growing flowers under them, because that'll help blooming. But if you're just growing seedlings and you're really just looking for it, you're only looking to grow that foliage because the sunlight will take care of it once you get them planted out. So, um, the one thing you want to shy away from, which I unfortunately, when I was researching in the beginning, kind of fell victim to this baloney. Um, you want to have something with a high enough lumen. Now, lumen is like the brightness output, okay? So you want something that has more like an 800 lumen, which in like a T8 or a T12 is going to be like a 40 watt bulb, okay? So what you don't want to get is the ones that are like the real purpley ones that a lot of times are used more like for aquariums, but the way they're labeled sometimes is kind of confusing so that you think they're like grow lights for plants. And those are only a 20 watt output. It's a 20 watt and it's a 480 lumen approximately, depending on the brand those lower lumens you don't want that is not enough to grow your plants so you want to go closer to that 800 lumens so that's probably more important even than than your color spectrum so you want that color spectrum to be 4500 or higher and you want at least 800 lumens the lumens is more important if let's say all you can find is maybe 30 something 3500 on the kelvin scale and it's 800 lumens versus something that's 600 on the kelvin scale but maybe only like 5 or 600 lumens you want the higher lumens because 
if if it doesn't have enough like lumens and brightness for those plants to photosynthesize it's of no use to you so um do not lose sleep over the lighting it you can spend a phenomenal amount of lighting or a phenomenal amount of money on grow lighting and i have just found that that is simply not necessary um again you can probably find used fixtures on craigslist or just by the cheapest like shop lights you can find at your um building supply store and just make it work hang them with like um i you kind of use like the like the thinner um like if you were gonna like a, I, I would call it like a dog chain. Like if you're going to tie out a small dog or something like that, um, that just use that real thin chain, like to hang those lights. Um, and it's super, super easy. Wire it up. If you don't know how to wire them up, YouTube it. I mean, it's not that hard. I, I, I had my you know, 14 year old do it for me. Now he's a smart kid. He knows about that stuff. But it's not anything that's too difficult. You can totally do it yourself. Just YouTube how to do it. Um, it's super, super easy. When you set them on your shelving under your lights, um, you have a couple different options. Uh, it depends on, you know, if you're doing this in your garage, like a heated garage, um, <clears throat> you might have a little bit more options because you don't care if maybe some, you know, water gets out. If you live in an apartment or, you know, like a house without a basement, you might not be able to have any water spill and you really want to contain this. You know, in which case I would maybe put a tarp down on the floor to catch any spills Um but you can also do some things underneath your trays. So we have a sheet metal break and my my husband uses it for doing like trim around windows and like flashing and stuff on roofing. Um, but I had my son bend up some trays for me um, with the... Okay, like, now I might sound stupid. It's like those rolls of metal that you get for doing, like, flashing and window trim. Um, and I think it comes, like, 24 inches wide on, like, 40-foot rolls. But I'm not 100% sure on that. 50-foot rolls, maybe? I I'm not sure. Um, so he just bent them up like where he bent the edges like in twice and just made them into large rectangles. So I can fit four 1020 trays across them. Um, <clears throat> and then I just like cocked up the corners because you have to like put a slit in the corners so you can like bend them up and then I just cocked the corners so that water doesn't escape and then I set my trays in there and now all my trays have like the drainage holes but like if you can't do that you could set a tray with the drainage holes inside of a solid tray I typically wouldn't recommend doing just solid trays because if you get too much water in there there's no way you're 
for it to drain out. So you definitely want to do like a two tray system or um, or have something underneath it. And if you can find up with find out you know figure out some other way of containing that water great but you just don't want it like sitting in the water so that they're your seedlings are like constantly soaked you want to be able to let that drain away so um like I said there's no right or wrong way you just have to figure out what's right for you um you might come up with something completely different so um then for watering so seedlings are really delicate. You need to get an even coating of watering, but you can't just use like a regular watering can because like the droplets are too big that it'll, it can like splash away all the soil medium that's on top of them and expose those seedlings and you don't want that soil to be moving around. So um, you can use what's called a Haws watering can. Haws, H-A-W-S. It's like a brand name. Um, there's probably like knockoffs out there, but it has very fine holes and it's a, um, like just a very gentle gravity feed watering can. Um, you can also use missers. They come in all sorts. There's like ones that are like a half a gallon per minute or one gallon per minute or a gallon and a half per minute. Um, and these are easy to hook up to like a short hose on a utility sink or something like that. Um, if you're doing it in your house, if you have like a heated greenhouse or something outside, you're probably at the point where you've already figured this out if you own a greenhouse. Um, but you know, if you, or if you live in a Southern climate where you can start stuff in a, like one of those little, um, mini greenhouses that you can buy great you know hook up a hose the rest of us can't has have hoses hooked up in march because they'll freeze but if you li live in a climate where you can and you can do this all in a mini greenhouse great you know um then hook up a hose and use one of those misters um you just want to make sure you're getting really even water all the way to the corners of all those things so um, there are, like I talked about a little bit earlier, there are some things that need to germinate warm and some things germinate better, like they need to germinate warm and stay really warm and some things need to germinate warm and then go to a cooler area. Um, so your seed packets should have directions on it. Now, I would say if you're buying your seeds somewhere at like a chain store, your seeds are not going to have as good of directions on them about starting seedlings inside. I would recommend buying from a trusted source like Johnny's Seeds or Seed Savers or something like that. Um, if you need a resource on how to start any seeds, um, Johnny's has, and that's J-O-H-N-N-Y, johnny's um i would look up they have what's called the growers library so you just go on their website um and let's say you're looking on tips about how to start cauliflower seedlings you just type in the search bar cauliflower and then it'll say like cauliflower growing uh they have two different categories there's like growing tips and then there's uh something something else but I can't remember what they call it, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of information 
on just how to grow cauliflower in general, not necessarily a specific variety, but it'll tell you how to grow cauliflower, how to harvest it, how to handle it, how to store it. I mean, they have really, really good information. And follow that because that should be, um, that should really go across you know, like most varieties. Now, certain varieties, it may say like this specific variety does or doesn't like this, but for the most part, you can depend on the information you find on Johnny's Seeds. Um, They have really good information. Um, Some things are going to need some heat mats under them. Peppers specifically is kind of the one thing that needs a lot of babysitting. It needs to be warm. You're not going to get good germination and you're not going to get good growth. Um, Peppers is one of those things that I have struggled with in years past. Um, i they're better now, but I used to kind of never have them to the point I wanted them to, and they just were never as vigorous. Um, so I definitely wouldn't start like with something like peppers. Tomatoes do okay if you have good accommodations, and tomatoes seems to be the thing that like people always want to start, but honestly, mm, I would say unless you have a good setup, they're not ideal. Um, if you are starting stuff in your basement, I would definitely say brassicas are an easy one to start with, like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, um, Brussels sprouts, those type of things. Um, I start my kohlrabi in seed trays. Those do really well um, as transplants. Beets I do in plug trays as plant transplants. Do not do carrots. I have experimented with it. It is not good. That I... I've read people who swear by it. I have had nothing but trouble and I had to put too many eggs in one basket and did the majority of my carrots one year in seed uh, plug trays. It did not turn out well for me, so I would absolutely not do that. Um, But, like, those are easier to start with. Like I said, they need to be warmer to germinate. But once they germinate, they can be in a cool area and they do really, really fine. So if you want to throw them in the basement under some lights, like, brassicas are the way to go. Kale does really well. Um, Again, a brassica. Um, Shard does really well. Like, parsley. Um... Any of the, like, pumpkin, squash, zucchini, cucumbers, those are all super, super easy to grow. Kind of the same thing. Like, once they're warm and they're, like, if they're warm, once they're germinated, you can throw them in your basement under some lights and they do really, really good and grow, like, crazy. So, um, those are all easy things to start with. Um, once you have all of your things growing, you need to start hardening them off and you need to start thinking like two or three weeks ahead of time before you want to plant them out. Now, it depends on how you're planting them out too. If you're going to plant them out into a mini greenhouse or like a high tunnel or like a caterpillar tunnel, like you're going to need different degrees of hardening off. So, I would somewhat recommend kind of looking up a YouTube video on that. And in the future, I'll do something a little more detailed about hardening off. But this is what I have. 
I had my son build me some like mini greenhouses. They're like eight by two, I think. Um, so eight feet by two feet. Um, just enough to get those 10, 20 trays in like the long way so I can fit, I think one, two, three, four, five, six, I think I can fit in there easily. I think I could fit seven if I didn't have like the bar in the middle. Um, and so they easily fit in there and what I do is like on a nice sunny day, I bring them up from the basement and I put them in that mini greenhouse where it's, it's much cooler than the basement. Well, and I shouldn't say that it's cooler in the morning. Oftentimes it warms up much warmer than the basement, but they get used to that, like the heat fluctuating, which it does normally, you know, cool nights and warm days in the garden. So it gets them used to that and it gets them used to the sunlight. So I leave the top down and you could even put a little bit of shade cloth. So I start out only for like two or three hours. And and if it's an overcast day, I'll leave them out longer. But at two hours, at, really if it's a really sunny day, two hours at the most if the sun is overhead three hours if it's like a little bit off to the side like morning sun or evening sun um, and then bring them in and you just increase that a little bit every day and then once they're used to the sun then I leave the top open and then that allows them to get like kind of the direct sunlight and then I start just leaving them out on the deck for a couple days like so that the wind can blow on them because the stems need to really kind of toughen up and get used to the wind blowing on them and um, they get stronger over time. Now, I listened to a really interesting podcast one time with this guy. You know what? I don't even know if it was, it was either the Farmer to Farmer podcast or Farm Small, Farm Smart. And they interviewed a guy who was like a I don't know, like a kind of like an heirloom tomato guru. Like he grows hundreds and hundreds of different types of tomatoes and he had no special setup. Like he started these tomatoes like in a window, then he moved them out to his garage and then he like wheels them out into his driveway and then wheels them back in the garage at night and like his garage is only like 50 degrees when these seedlings are little and he said they do remarkably well. He doesn't use grow lights, he doesn't do anything. And what he found, he said, he actually thought that if you babied them too much, that once you planted them out, if you had a little bit of weather that was questionable, like a, a little bit of wind or a little bit too much like cold, um, that they were far more susceptible to, you know, getting frost or like just not sus um, like withstanding the wind and he thought the less you babied them the better now I have not had an opportunity to test this because I feel like I've had a good system the way I harden them off but it just depends on your circumstances like if that's all you can do that's all you can do just try it it makes a lot of sense that 
you know, if you take something that's only been grown in a greenhouse and has never had to stand up to any, like, wind or rain or elements, and then you plant them right out, they are not going to do well. So, you know, as long as you can make that hardening off period and as much of the elements as you can, like, uh, expose them to without them being ripped apart. I mean, obviously, if, if you have, like forecasted like 20 mile an hour winds don't leave them outside you know then you just don't bring them out that day I like to bring them out on overcast days uh rainy days days with light wind because they really get used to that and then but then you also need to expose them from to the sun so they don't get get like sunburned so you're you're preventing well, not preventing, but you're getting them used to the real things that are going to happen to them once they go into the garden. And that's what hardening off is all about. It is getting them ready for being in the garden. So that is a really, really brief overview of starting your own seedlings. If you have any specific questions, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Facebook. Again, we're the farmer podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook as the farmer podcast. And you can leave me a message if you're using the Anchor app. Um, I would really appreciate it. I've been enjoying the messages that I've been getting. And I thank you for taking the time to give me that feedback because I want to make a better podcast for you. Um, So coming up, it looks like um, our schedules are going to line up. And I think me and Dr. Kate are going to record an episode for you. We have yet to determine what that is going to be about. <laughs> We've got a couple things that we both are passionate about. And um, so we'll see how that goes. But I'm hoping that our the next podcast you hear from me is going to be with Dr. Kate. If not, we'll probably talk a little bit about maple syruping in the next month. And of course, my goat's kidding. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, and until then, I hope you keep up just getting ready to farm, getting ready for spring, anticipating it, and um, we'll see you next time.